And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always an honor. Today is Wednesday, June the 24th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on June 24, 1497, first recorded sighting of North America, first recorded sighting of North America by a European took place, explored John Cabot, spotted land. Nobody knows for sure where what land he spotted, but most historians and those who have studied what he wrote at the time, they think he probably was looking at present-day Canada. Today in 1807, a grand jury in Richmond, Virginia, indicted former Vice President Aaron Burr on charges of treason and high misdemeanor. He was later acquitted. Today in 1947, What's regarded as the first modern UFO sighting took place as a private pilot, Kenneth Arnold. <laughs> he was a um, Idaho businessman. He he reported seeing nine silvery-looking objects flying in a weaving formation near Mount Rainier, Washington. Today, in 1957, the U.S. Supreme Court in Roth versus the United States ruled six to three that obscene materials were not protected. By the First Amendment. Today, in 1964, AT&T inaugurated, with much hype, I will say, their commercial picture phone. The telephone, you know, the old plug-in telephone, would carry a picture. Didn't go over. They were offering service between New York, Chicago, and Washington, D.C. Nobody wanted it. They said telephones, (coughs) excuse me, telephones are to talk on not to see each other. Well, a lot of things have changed since 1964. That's one of them. Everybody carries an iPhone, or pretty much everybody carries an iPhone around, a smartphone, their pocket. They can videotape or take pictures of everything they see, and they do, and put on social media. Their whole life has lived on social media. But we can also do FaceTime now, and almost anybody can talk to anybody face-to-face live today. But 1964, nah, didn't work. AT&T, I don't know how much they invested in it, but it was not a good investment. A little ahead of their time, I think. Today, 1968, Resurrection City was a shanty town. It was constructed as part of the Poor People's March on Washington, D.C. It was closed down by authorities. Today, in 1992, the Supreme Court, in a 5-4 to uh, decision, it strengthened its 30-year ban on officially sponsored worship in public schools, prohibiting prayer as a part of graduation ceremonies. Ten years ago today, President Barack Obama declared that he and visiting Russian President Dmitry Medvedev had, quote, succeeded in resetting the relationship between Russia and the United States. That was the period of time when Hillary Clinton went to Russia, Secretary of State, and she had this little box with a button on it, and it was, they called it the reset button. And they thought that would be a big deal in the media. It was, but not the way they wanted it to be. Remember, it was supposed to do something. I can't remember what the little box was supposed to do. I don't know if it was supposed to say something or a little sign was supposed to pop out. But anyway, she got with one of the, people, her her peer in Russia, television cameras rolling, and this was at the same time that Barack Obama was announcing this reset with Russia, and she they pushed the reset button, 
Oh, it, I think it said something, and it said a word in Russian, and the word in Russian meant something very derogatory, very pejorative, and they had messed up on that big time. I think that says speaks to a lot of things that Hillary Clinton has done over the years. At least that's my opinion, but uh, it's memorable. That happened around Barack Obama made his statements 10 years ago today. Hillary was right around this time with her button, she and her contemporary pushing the button in Russia. Washington State is once again in the national news. In fact, the lead story on CBS this morning, CBS News is reporting, a county in Washington State has run out of hospital beds because of a recent spike in coronavirus cases. Now Washington Governor Jay Inslee, CBS says, says the entire state is going to take a more aggressive approach to handling the pandemic. Everybody in the state, minus a few exceptions, will now have to wear a face mask. But all of all of you listening in Washington State, you already knew that. You will now have to wear a mask. You'll be charged with a misdemeanor crime if you fail to do so. Yesterday, Inslee said the state is experiencing an uptick in COVID-19 activity and that to stop it, the state means to needs to remain vigilant and diligent and resourceful. Inslee said the number of people that one person infects is now going up. He added that every coronavirus-infected individual in the state is potentially infecting about three people around them. As of last night... CBS is reporting all this. It's a long story. As of last night, 28,870 confirmed cases in Washington, more than 4,000 hospitalizations. Then they, part of the story goes to what they call Yakima County, which is just southeast of Seattle. Yeah, we know where it is, but that's what, how they define it, just southeast of Seattle. It has the second highest number in the state and said it has run out of hospital beds to battle the virus. On June 19, CBS says, the Yakima Health District said in a release that Virginia Mason Memorial had no intensive care or non-intensive care beds available. There are multiple patients waiting for hospital beds. This was after, CBS says, at least 17 patients had already been transferred out of the county. Inslee says this morning, Yakima is now the epicenter of the virus in the state. I particularly have an interest in Yakima County, of course. Some of you who have listened or know me know that I was born and raised there. But that's of less consequence than what we're facing today in this country certainly in Yakima County and Washington State, but elsewhere. These are chaotic and unstable times. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. A paraphrased version of that, I usually read almost all the time on this program and in my private devotion. 
I almost always read and I started using it when I was a pastor when it came out, the new King James Version. But a paraphrased version of this verse says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. Well, that's paraphrases very close to what God is saying to us today. We are living, we are living in changing times. And this change is more than just a, a sea change. And that's usually, that term is used to denote, you know, the worst possible or the greatest possible shift politically, demographically, economically. This is a sea change. It's not just a little shift. It's not a, a trending in a different direction. It's a sea change. You hear that phrase a lot. The news media uses it, but other people do as well. This is beyond a sea change, what's happening in America right now on so many fronts. We see we see the, the racial thing, the Black Lives Matter issue. We see the strongest, the most flourishing economy in the world shut down almost overnight. Yes, I know the other countries in the world shut down as well, or most of them did and should have, I suppose. But... All of the questions now that are emerging from this, I mean, should we have done what we did because has it helped or did it just prolong a second wave of coronavirus or it should have been called Wuhan virus? All of these viruses that have been among us over the last number of years have always been identified with where they came from. It was never racist. But now all of a sudden in this hypertentious state that we find ourselves in, any Anything that even seems to have some connotation of racism or somebody's feelings get hurt, we, as you have to change. Wuhan virus is one of those. I mean, it's been amazing. We've had all of these viruses from Africa and elsewhere, and people just call them. One of them, I can't remember which one was called, you know, named for a river near where this, the first case was found, and it was just a way of identifying the origin of them. But now, like China, doesn't want to be identified as the origin of it. They want America to be. In fact, they for a long time, they kept issuing these stories officially from China that this virus actually started on Fort Bragg or one of the forts here, the military installations in America. And soldiers who were visiting over there for some, I think it was some athletic games or something, brought it to China. China had nothing to do with it. I mean, finally, that, that just sort of petered out because nobody would believe it. Everybody knew better, so they kind of stopped saying that. But we live in such a, it's such a convoluted time in history. And yes, I would agree that these are times that are described in this verse in Psalm and many other verses in the Bible. But I will tell you this. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken now, and it's very, very important that we as Christians really understand, and sooner than later, what God is saying to the world, to, to our nation, and to us as individuals. Because a lot of things that we thought were very important 
not so long ago are not very important at all because we've had to live without them, whether it's sports or travel. I mean, people were obsessed with travel. I, I've traveled the world, and I mean, maybe I'm not a fair assessment because Marjorie and I haven't had that desire at this time in our life to just you know travel all over the world all the time, but a lot of people do. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying there are obsessions, and you'd see it placed out on, on social media. I'm on a cruise. I just stepped off the cruise, and now we're on the plane. We're going to the to Fiji or whatever, which is great. But it, at least for me, it got to the point where I almost thought people were obsessed with that. And I don't think God wants us to be obsessed with anything. Certainly not sinful, destructive things, but even pleasure. We were obsessed with a lot of things in America. The church. I'm not talking about the non-Christians. And maybe God is saying something to us along the lines of, we need to reassess what's really important, what really counts, what really matters, what's really valuable. And I believe that God is saying probably a lot of other things to us as well. And we will be speaking to those things as we progress day to day to day. We're live in our origination, 9 o'clock on the ACN network. We're on other stations where you're listening, and I want to just take a moment to thank you so much for your support. Clearly, we wouldn't be here without it. And um, I know you know, and I know, that every nonprofit, particularly charitable or ministry organizations, are struggling with their budgets today. It's in the news. It's reported often. In fact, I read a story yesterday that said nonprofits are bleeding. And I didn't read the rest of it. I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know anymore. That was enough for me. But these are very difficult times. They're very perilous times. They're challenging times. And I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you to those of you who stand with us financially and prayerfully on this ministry. I don't believe this is something God does not want me to continue. I believe he does want me to continue. And I want to thank you for standing with us. If I could find more adequate words, I would use them. But just from my heart, thank you. And those of you who are listening and feel that there's value in what we're doing here for the kingdom of God, I would encourage you to take a moment and join us financially and prayerfully and send a check. We need your support. We need your support in Seattle. We're not meeting our budget there. We didn't expect to immediately. But we're moving in that direction, thankfully. And thank you to all of you who immediately stepped up and started supporting us financially. Those of you who are listening and feel it's valuable what we're doing, you haven't supported us, please do. We need it. Everywhere where this program is heard, we need your support. And I thank you and recognize all of you who are standing with us. I look at your names. I look at every name. I go down the list. I'm aware, and I want to thank you. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. Many of us have known for some time that Black Lives Matter, BLM, got an email from a guy that supports this ministry the other day, and he said, every time you use the word BLM, he said, I always think of the Bureau of Land Management. Well, so do I. 
And he said, it's probably probably because I've spent a lot of time outdoors over my lifetime and love the outdoors. It's probably true. But Black Lives Matter is BLM, and sometimes it's easier to say that than the other. But sometimes I, I take a second look, even yet, and I've talked about it a lot on the radio and, and written about it. But we know that BLM or Black Lives Matter is not really about not really about better schools or choices or better jobs or better opportunities for black. Oh, I, need, I mean, if you were to ask the leaders or the people participating in that movement, I mean, they would say, sure, of course we want that. But the focus of that and the emphasis of that is not really that. If it were true, they would maybe hold their nose, but they would support some of the things that President Trump is doing. They might even vote for him. In fact, a lot of blacks were really coming out in favor of Trump until the world shut down. The economy was good. Black employment was up. So was Hispanic. I mean, it was going great. But if they really wanted that, if that was really the goal, and they say it is when they're pressed, they would support Trump or they would at least support some of the things he's doing to help them. But that isn't really the objective. Sean King is a BLM influencer. He's now, when you think you've heard it all, he's now calling for Jesus and Mary statues to be removed because they are a product of white supremacy. This is not a guy standing on the corner in some second-rate city. He's a guy that's a leader in this movement nationally. We need to be informed today. We need to know what's going on because this is very deceptive, and at the heart of it, it is not social or cultural. It's a spiritual matter that's facing this nation and the world today in this whole thing. I mean, people are doing crazy things. I read a story this morning in Australia where the Black Lives Matter people there are now saying that chess, the game of chess, should be banned. Why? (laughs) Because there's black and white pieces on a chessboard, as you know, and the rules are that the white chess player moves first. The guy with the white, the person with the with the white characters. So the rule of white pieces moving first is now being interpreted as racial, and they're calling for chess to be removed or revised from the culture in Australia. That's where we are with this. Anyway, this this Sean King guy, he has a lot of influence. He's calling for all of these statues that depict Jesus as a white European to be removed, ripped down, torn down, or put away out of sight. He said it's white supremacy. King was a surrogate, paid surrogate, on Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign. He wrote on Twitter, Jesus and Mary are a form of white supremacy. They always have been. Now, I know that Jesus isn't a statue, and you should know that as well, and I know most of all of you do, and neither is Mary. But he continues. I mean, they're statues, they're representations. They're nothing more than that. But he continued with a second tweet. He said, All murals and stained glass windows of white Jesus and his European mother and their white friends should also come down. They are a gross form of white supremacy. When he said that, I had to think about that. I was in Brazil. We did some missionary work there and, and some years ago. And when I was in Rio one time with three or four guys from around the country that had gone with me, we were starting a church. 
out in somewhere in that part of the world. But anyway, we we stayed in Rio overnight, and uh, we had a little bit of a layover before our flight back to the U.S. to Los Angeles, and uh, so we went up on the hill to that big statue of Christ that overlooks it, very famous. And I I remembered that when I read this, and I I remembered that that statue of Christ is made out of some kind of white stone. So I looked at the picture of it again, and sure enough, it's white. So that, too, I guess, must be torn down. King also noted, Sean King, in his tirade against Jesus and Mary, he said, and I'm quoting him, In the Bible, when the family of Jesus wanted to hide and to blend in, guess where they went? Egypt not Denmark. Tear them down. It's kind of like the little kid in the back seat. You go on a, on a road trip, and you're, not, you're hardly out of your neighborhood, uh, out to the freeway, before the little kid is saying, your kids were the same. Are we there yet? But, you know, you've got to ask yourself sometimes, are we there yet? Well, how far can this go? Where will this take us? Why is no one stepping up to stop this expanding mob rule? Oh, I know Mayor Jenny in Seattle is starting to say, well, we're going to have to incrementally start to un, you know, unorganize this thing over on Capitol Hill. She should have been saying that weeks ago before people were killed. There's been another shooting there, by the way, a third shooting. It's just chaotic. It's anarchy. It's, it's, it's jungle life. And these people didn't know or didn't care, and now all of a sudden they're starting to look bad and they realize it. And they're starting to say, well, I'm going to address this. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that works out for the mayor. But she's been smiling all along and celebrating it, calling it a summer of love and all this kind of thing. I mean, it's crazy. After two separate shootings and a third one, she's now saying that she needs to incrementally begin to shut it down. Well, good luck on that. I'm sure when she shows up on the street corner after terrorizing the city, burning, breaking, looting, finally occupying, I doubt that they're going to salute. Maybe they will. I don't know those people very well, but I doubt that they'll salute and say, yes, Your Honor, we'll be gone by sundown. We'll see how that works out. They're demanding that the police department be abolished, really. She's offering a $20 million cut for the rest of the year in their budget. We'll make them pay. And they're saying, no, we want more than that. We'll see how that plays out. But that's playing out all across the nation. Yesterday, President Trump did make a move, and I was glad to see him make that. He made a move to rule in, rein in this, this mob rule. He invoked the Veterans Memorial Preservation Act or other such laws that may be pertinent with penalties of destroying these properties of up to 10 years in prison. Where are the other Republicans? I mean, why aren't they stepping up? I know in fairness that some of the cities where the most looting and burning and and anarchy is taking place are not governed by Republican mayors or even governors of the state. I understand that. But there are some. And I don't see a lot of action on the part of the Republicans. They just are wanting to sit this out and kind of let the cities burn. I don't think that's right. And I don't think that's any form of leadership. Jared Stepman published an article yesterday I, I read in the, um, in the Heritage, the, the Signal. It's a part of the Heritage Foundation. 
And he was addressing this whole thing of mob rule. I don't have time to go through it with you today, but it's very good. I wrote an article about this, and I included a link to his article if you want to go to it. It's Faith and Freedom, Faith, A-N-D, Freedom, dot U-S. If you go dot com, you'll end up somewhere else. And if you go to, I, I forget which address it is, but if you go to another Faith and Freedom, you'll go to a Muslim site. So be sure it's faithandfreedom.us. And I might say all of those other alternatives, faith and freedom websites, have been started since we started ours. I did not realize how popular that would become. We've had to add my name legally to our faith and freedom ministry to identify it. But I'll tell you the story sometime. But anyway, Stepman says in his article, he says that the New York Times has significantly influenced this with that 1619 project that they came out with, telling the nation and the world that America really wasn't founded in 1776. It was really founded in 1619 when the first, when the first slave ship arrived in the harbor at Jamestown. This is how far this has gone. The 1619 Project essentially rewrites the history of America. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, their view of America was that was conceived in liberty, but existed alongside institutions at odds with the principles of our creation. That's human experience. They should be able to understand that, but they don't want to understand it. Stepan believes that the ethos of the 1619 Project is being used to animate mob violence and destruction in this country because people are uninformed. And I think he's right. Some people are even calling this the 1619 Riots. Whatever the demand, authorities from Seattle to New York have submissively bowed a knee. In fact, that most politicians seem eager to meet the demands. Will they include getting rid of Jesus and Mary now and murals and stained glass? That's what this guy is saying, and he's influential. He's not just a person, a voice. He's a very loud voice in this movement. 29-year-old Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, was giving an address to the Young Men's Lyceum, it's like a men's club or an athletic club would be today, in Springfield, Illinois. In fact, his address is now known as the Lyceum Address. But in it, he talked at length. He was only 29 years old, not that well-known at the time, but becoming so. He talked at length about the greatness of our institutions, how they were built on God-ordained principles by a generation of people, our founders, created for the purpose of serving the ends of civil and religious liberty, more so now than any nation in history, he said. But he said, we will not be brought down by a foreign country. If we are to fail, it will be from within. He said, I answer, if, we ever, if it ever reach us, it must spring up among us. Destruction. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be the author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. It's time for us to pray, and I know many of you are, for America, that God will forgive our sins and heal our land, and forgive our sins personally and heal our lives. Thanks for being with me today. I'll see you right here tomorrow.